Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. Yay! We have a live audience here this week. This is uh, the Hot Stove Society Kitchens in downtown Seattle, based on the second floor of the Hotel Andra, the beautiful uh, hotel that is right at 4th and Virginia, across the street from the old Dahlia Lounge. Now it's Serious Pie downtown, Dahlia Bakery. And we have lots going on here. If you ever want to see our class schedule, just go to hotstovesociety.com. Uh, we have, uh, I think Annie's going to be on later. She's doing a bow class, is that right? She's going to tell us all about it. She makes bow dough do amazing things. There you go. That's, ba, ba, the, ba, ba. that's the voice <laughs> exactly. of Pamela Hinckley, our producer. Sean is here today on technical. And, of course, Sean Dottori is back in the studio trying to put this mess together into a decent show. Doing and a bonjour, Tom. Job. Bonjour, Chef Thierry in the chapeau. How are you chapeau. doing today? I am doing fantastic. You raised a lot of money this week for... Turkey and Syria. We raised some money this week. Some money? Yeah. Um, we had a benefit yesterday along with a bunch of, I think, 60 other restaurants here in Seattle to uh, help raise some funds for the earthquake relief efforts that are going on over there. It is tragic. Yeah. Tragic. I just looked this morning. It was 48,000 people dead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's tragic. And uh, they're in the cold. Imagine if you were outside right now. That uh, wouldn't be hard to do since I just came from the outdoors. Right, but imagine yeah. if you had to stay there yeah. all, day, all day and all night. You Sitting know. there waiting for them to dig out your relatives. No fun, and I'm sorry for that whole process. But anyway, we raised a few bucks thanks to those folks who uh, came to, to the restaurants here uh, on Wednesday, the 22nd. And uh, 20% of what everyone spent uh, was going to earthquake relief for both Syria and Turkey. Today we're going to get into a, a, a good show here. Uh, muffins worth getting up for. Are there really? There are. I mean, getting out of a warm bed? Yeah, yeah. you have some ideas on this? I sure do. Okay, I'm looking forward to hearing what that could possibly be. I can't be. wait. It's going to change my mind. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to weigh in on the TikTok craze. You know, Pamela, you are of an age. I'm not going to tell people your age. But your, uh, your fascination with TikTok is a bit surprising to me. Oh, it's false. What do you mean? I don't have a fascination for the whole, it. <laughs> the whole show is based on TikTok, Just including a- <laughs> this goofy thing that you're going to have us do later with cheese and pickles. I can hardly, hardly wait for that. Uh, unleash your creativity with vinegar uh, infusions. And, Chef, we're going to look to you for advice on this because uh, every year at Christmas time I happen to get a little this and that in my bag from you, and it always contains an infused vinegar. Right. Right. Yeah, vinegars are good. Vinegars yeah, good are for good. you, for sure. I think you use vinegars in a way that most people in this country don't. And I'm looking forward to hearing that, uh, where you use it maybe in some savory ways other than salad dressings. Right. And Pamela puts them in her juices and drinks mm-hmm. and stuff. Oh, yeah. 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 Apple cider vinegar. Why, why wait for kombucha when you can just add vinegar? <laughs> We're going to make some pork chops today. We're going to talk about using anchovies for your umami flavors. I use anchovy paste in so many things people wouldn't expect. And it's sometimes I have to stop myself because I have a vegetarian coming. It's like, oh, God, I can't use my favorite umami right. ingredient. So we're going to talk about how anchovies work that way. Annie Elmore, the director here, is going to talk about bao dough. We think about it like being the humbao that you get at the dim sum restaurant. But you can do all sorts so of things. So many things. things. Yeah. It's so versatile. It's kind of like I, pizza. It's like I thought pizza she was going to make pizza. That's exactly what I thought. I was like, she's going to make bao pizza. That's going to be awesome. <laughs> she might. Who's to say? She's a feisty one. She could do all sorts of things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She will. And lastly, of course, we're going to finish the show with our Food for Thought Tasty Trivia uh, brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs, the tasty treats uh, that we make right out there in our warehouse in Ballard. First up for me is I have a bunch of guys. I uh, have a golf trip in uh, May to Scotland. 
with a bunch of guys, and we have our planning dinner at my house on Friday. And I was trying to think of what I was going to make for dinner. Don't tell them no. Well, I'm sure. What is it? I'm sure they're not listening. Well, I put at Thanksgiving, I put a quart of turkey stock and a quart of turkey gravy in the freezer that were left over. I'm going to make hot turkey sandwiches. When was the last time you had one of those? I can't remember. No, it's feeling cold right now. You yeah, would, yeah. You, it's, not, it's not junk food. You might even try it. No, no, I would love that, but I just don't remember last time I had a hot yeah. turkey sandwich. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Make hot turkey sandwiches with uh, the last of the peas from Prosser Farm. Cheese? Last of the corn from Prosser. I'm making a little succotash. Succotash on the side. This is like right off the cover of a Denny's menu. <laughs> I was going to say Alice Water, but no, I guess no. not. No, <laughs> no. No, they're going to be so surprised. They're going to expect something chefy, you know, and I'm just going to let them down like uh, Big glasses of Nebbiolo? Or yes. Barbaro, and, then, and then what's the cheese? What's the cheese? There You're is no cheese. cheese on the turkey sandwich? No, I'm making mashed potatoes. Oh, okay. It's not a sandwich. It's not, chef. You Shut. said sandwich. I understand, but come on, audience, tell them what it is. It's a toasted buttered bread, really nicely toasted, hot, warm turkey on top, okay. gravy. Yeah. It's open face. It's like a tartine. See, if I had said tartine, oh, you would have understand what you meant. It's like a turkey tartine. Why can't you speak French like everybody is? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like a turkey tartine. Anyway, that's going to, going to be my taste of the week because I know the gravy is fantastic. Fantastic because you know why? Because you're a gravy god. Yes, that is true. <laughs> GG. No, no matter what the listener that wrote me and said, you are no god. They were wrong. I'm a gravy god. Okay, chef, what's your taste of the week? I went to a place called uh, Camoneji. Have you been there before? Sure. You bet. Delicious. What's that location called? It's between Ballard and Wallingford? What is yeah. that called? Ballard Wallingford. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Camoneji, a very delicious restaurant. Uh, a few highlights, the uh, duck ball yakitori was delicious. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, very well-made duck balls, duck meatball, sorry, duck meatball, and um, very beautiful texture on the, on the duck meatball, and of course, a beautiful broth with that that was so delicious, and, and of course, I don't know how they made it exactly, mm-hmm. but... Were they some of her handmade noodles in there? Yeah, soba noodles, huh. but it reminded me, on the side, the soba noodles are on the side. Um, but it reminded me of a beautiful duck consomme with some duck meatballs in it. Uh-huh. It was absolutely delicious. The flavor was fantastic. And um, it's a cute little restaurant, very small. It's where the art of the table used to be, you know, the first art of the table used to be before they moved five or six years ago. But it's a, it's a you know, it's got maybe 20 seats at most. I know, it's very tiny. One of our good friends, Bruce, is... Uh Oh, kind of does and he some, was there. He was, was there. He? Yeah, Bruce, Bruce was there. You posted a cute picture. Yeah, yeah. With he Soma. Yeah. Bruce Miara, he was there. But, uh, yeah, it was nice to see everybody in delicious little restaurant. I just wanted to give them a Kamenege. She's up for a James Beard Award, I believe, yeah. this year. Yeah, one, yeah. one of the finalists. Or Absolutely. And, uh, but the soba noodle, nominated. too. Absolutely delicious. Cold broth, soba noodle, wasabi on the side. Super fantastic. Good. Well, I recommend it. fun. You know, uh, last night when I invited you to dinner with me, he said, ah, you know, no, it's, uh, I'm too tired and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> then he'd come in the day and find out he went to Kamenegi. No, 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 uh, no, 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 that was just, uh, no, hold on one second. I don't, I'm not that wasn't really last sure night. When we come back, it's Rise and Shine, the wide world of muffins include easy and sweet and savory recipes. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. I got the blue crab blues, I'm as blue as I can be. Cause every time I look around, someone's trying to catch for me. 
time to rise and shine here in the Hot Stove Society show. Pamela Hinckley, our producer, says that it's there are some muffins in the world that are worth getting out of bed for. And um, while I might argue with you, I don't have a problem getting out of bed. But if you could get my wife out of bed, that would be an amazing thing. I'll make her one of these. Yeah, and you don't even like breakfast. No, so, I don't. So where does this? Where do these things come from? From you? I know you love that that little coffee stand up on Eighty Fifth. Oh, is this where you gather? Yeah, is this where you get your best. inspirations for segments like this? Do they yes. have a great morning muffin? Yes. What is it? It's a, 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 class, uh, a classic take on the morning muffin. It's really grainy. Like a granola muffin, like yeah. bran muffin. grainy, and it's got some orange peel in it. And it's so a sweet what muffin. Kind of peel? A sweet muffin. Orange. Orange. Orange peel. That's, a, that's, our orange. that's our Connecticut producer coming out. I right know. There. It's orange. It's an O. It's orange. And it, um, honey, <laughs> honey an sweetened. A. So I like those, but I really like um, a carrot cake-based one too. Yeah, I, too. I think I could do that for Jackie. But the, the one that caught my eye was a spiced gingerbread with maple glaze. You know the one that caught my eye? What? It was charred Charcoal roasted corn and ham hock muffin. Yeah, well, those smoked are, ham hock. I think this is you, this is more my see, cup of tea. You could have too. a little granola muffin, or you could have a charcoal grilled corn and ham hock muffin. Yeah, yeah. I think the, savory, the savory. egg and, and cheese recipes kind of dominate right now. So you're on uh, TikTok, your favorite. No, your favorite. You're, uh, you're on trend. This was all in food and wine. Oh, okay. I don't even know about the cheese, but I do know about the egg and the and the muffin. Savory in the morning sounds delicious. What do you mean, Jeff? So we're talking about muffins. What what are you suggesting that you put an egg in your muffin? Mm-hmm. Tell me about it. I would put the egg. I would cut the muffin and then I would put the egg. Oh, in oh, it. oh! So you make oh. a muffin like an English muffin? You're talking about right, but savory. A savory muffin. Okay, keep talking. And then I would put the egg in it. I would sunny side up an egg, and I would put it in it and eat the whole thing like this, runny, because I like my eggs runny. You like them really soft. Mm. Well, this... Um, I, think, I know many I people are going... A, we're in a different... Like, oh, my God, that sounds gross. We're in a different... Uh, I think we're in a different world. You would never do that with, a, like, a, a rise and shine muffin, the one that Pam's talking about. Like, it's a, it's a brand muffin. I know, but... You're talking about English muffins. Where right. You split More them in English, half, but them. savory. I would do... You know, no, I don't like sweet muffin or sweet things in the morning like that. So we're going to leave him out of this segment then. No. <laughs> hey, hold on one second. You talk about savory. I mean. I know, but the difference is like an English muffin is a, a bread. Right. And, and then you make it savory by putting herbs on it or blah, blah, blah. We're right. talking about muffins like come out of a muffin tin. Right. That like a corn muffin or okay. a, you know, that I would then turn my corn muffin. Because when I make corn in the, in the summertime, I always take my extra corn, char it on the charcoal grill, right. take it off the ear and put it in the freezer so I can use it in cornbread or got whatever. It. And so what I was suggesting is when you're making a corn muffin, all you got to do is add a few little pieces of smoky ham hock to it, some pepper jack cheese... And you have a delicious, savory corn muffin. I'm, I'm with you. Which yeah. is different than where we were headed Correct. with the English muffin. Correct. Yeah. I understand that. Okay. I have another direction. Um, All right. This, is called, this recipe is called Rebel Within. So the technique is to make a four-minute soft yolk separately. And then you make your batter with whatever seasoning you want. And so you start with the batter in, and then you, after you get your four-minute egg, you cool it down. In Just a water the yolk batter. or the whole egg? The whole egg. Okay. And then you build it into the batter uh-huh. and fill, make a base, put the egg in. Soft poached egg inside, inside the muffin. Inside the muffin. Uh, see, this is exactly Dude. up my alley. 
I would definitely eat You that. would do that? I would love Doesn't to the eat. yolk cook when the a muffin cooks? Yeah, that's oh, yeah. why you start low with right. only four-minute center, so it's uh-huh. got more room to cook. Okay. When it's in the batter. It's barely coagulated, so it can hold and I see. put yeah. it in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, of course. That, that would be delicious. Concept. Oh, that would be delicious. And what kind of batter are you putting around this egg? Is it's it- a pretty traditional um, flour baking powder, it, sour cream. This one had some maple syrup and shredded cheddar. Do you know what would be good Sounds in that egg? fantastic. Some shaved truffle that would be delicious. <laughs> when you crack that muffin, you'd have that beautiful nose of truffle coming out and that gooey... Oh, oh yeah, bacon yeah, yeah. would also be definitely part of it. Well, no, that's... I mean, um, yeah, Chef, I'm sure you're, you are correct. Once again, truffle is good on anything. Right. But some places it belongs better than others. Mm-hmm. I think well, with an egg like that. I think truffle and eggs are a magical combination. Right. I don't know why that is. Well, the richness of the yolk and then the fact that the white can take any flavor, uh-huh. those two things combined makes it really perfect for the truffle. Because uh-huh. you don't want something too strong for the truffle. Did you do a muffin for Dahlia Bakery? Uh, we do, and they tend to be seasonal in nature or that rise and shine style, which is basically a morning brand muffin to get your system going. Yep. Yeah. Turn it all up. Turn it all up, take a walk afterwards, and then disappear. And also a good pig blueberry... You know, fresh, local blueberry, and I mean fresh frozen, because I have plenty in my freezer still. You know, that's also a good addition to those muffins. Even if you do them savory, you can put a few blueberries in there. Not too many. Don't want it to be soaking wet, but to just add those little bite of tanginess into your, into your muffin. You know what I find interesting about the TikTok craze? You're starting to see things. You know, when I first started cooking, I used to kind of break the rules a bit and do things that would make Chef crazy, uh, when, the way I thought about it, or this or that. And, and not everything worked when I read about <laughs> When I read about, like in your presentation here, Pam, uh, things like muffin tin, you're seeing a lot of this where they take traditional kitchen tools or ingredients and try and cook them in a different way because it's a TikTok thing. And so this one here that you put in here, a muffin tin turkey meatballs Those with were garlic. Those so cute. Oh, my God. <laughs> With garlic mashed potatoes and deep dish pizza muffins. I understand that it's interesting that it's in a muffin tin, but it's really, you could do it without the muffin tin. You, you can do all oh, that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But it, I think it's the photographability. It's like the trying cuteness. to find what am I going to do with my melon baller? And then you just think of things and put, put it on TikTok. Meatballs. <laughs> melon meatballs. Well, the, uh, a lot of the writing about muffins is making a batch so you have uh, snacks for the week. So you can whether freeze them and then just re-thermal yeah, them. Yeah, whether whatever. they're sweet or savory, um, the portability of them, that they function like a little hand snack, hand mm-hmm. pie. So you pre-bake it, them all, or do you yeah. actually bake every day? Pre-bake, pre-bake them, all. them all. You know, <clears throat> when I've tried to save muffin batter, especially any sort of baking powder batter, right. it just does not save Because it won't well. last, yeah. No. It yeah. won't make as good. No, you got to bake them off. So the yeah. one that I found the most interesting of the, your suggested ones was the gingerbread. Cause, I know. You know, I love my gingerbread recipe in... Um, Big dinners with the butternut squash on the top. But you can put anything on top. So this one has a maple glaze. So you make the gingerbread, and do you glaze it when it comes out? Or is it a turn-out, upside-down kind glaze of... Glaze when it comes out. Okay. Yeah. And then you put some toasted pecan on top of that. Oh, that would be magic. Mm-mm. Because it seems to me like if you put the caramel and the pecans in the bottom of your muffin tin and then put the... That would be, like, so yummy. The only question is... It won't rise the book. Will you get it out of the tin? <laughs> <laughs> it has to be a pretty good nonstick muffin tin for that. 
Yeah. I love this. It stays in the tin. You eat in the tin. I know. <laughs> so much for that idea. Uh, or you could cut little uh, parchment rounds to put at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah, that would help. Uh, it looks like our audience is getting their breakfast already. Wow, this is early. You guys must have put in... Did you tip Eamon a lot of money to get your breakfast early? <laughs> nice job. Uh, when we come back, we're going to get saucy with pork chops. You know, uh, pork chops are my wife's favorite meal. Roast chicken pork chops. They kind of go back and forth. You know, we always talk about dishes that you own. She owns those two dishes in her head. Okay. Roast chicken and pork chops. So. Good for her. Yeah. Uh, when we could, let's talk about that when we get back on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Let's get ourselves into some pork chops here on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. We've been here for many, many years. We're coming to you from the Hotel Andra. Uh, we have... <laughs> we've been here for many, many years, all right. I have restaurants that have opened and closed in the amount of time that we've been on this radio show. I've opened so. a lifetime restaurants and closed them as well during this radio <laughs> <Exactly>. show. <laughs> so uh, I'm not exactly sure how many years it is, but Pamela, you've been doing the show for a year, a year and a half now? Yep. Yeah, a year and a half or so, it seems like. Got to catch up to you guys. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck, yeah. You're going to have to leave two lifetime. Yeah. I think um, we say the show's 22 years old. 22 yeah. years old. Uh, I know that the, it got started one day when the producer, or their producer called and asked if I would sit in for Dave Ross. He was on vacation. Would I consider sitting in for Dave Ross for a, a day? Wow. A th- just- live three-hour show, just like out of the blue. How'd it go? Well, they asked me to come back the next day, <laughs> and at the end of the week, they gave me. They asked me if I wanted my own show. Wow, that that's crazy? a happy story. It's a long time ago. So, when you're in the grocery store, <laughs> yes. and you go to buy pork chops, and you see that sign where they charge a little extra money for center cut pork chops, what do you do? I walk further up, and I go. I want the other one, the, yeah, the exactly. one towards the end of the rack. Right. I'm a big fan of the no bones. You know the what do you call those towards the end of the rack? Where they're there on is, the blade end. On the blade, they're, yeah. They're the uh, what some people call the country style pork ribs. Or right. Pork. When I go back to France in the, and when it's uh, warm days, <clears throat> that's one one thing that my mom's usually makes it those thin pork chops, totally soaked into Dijon mustard, rosemary, thyme. And then throw those on the grill, and they grill so fast and so quick and uh-huh. so beautiful. So it, it's so it's thin, so it cooks very fast, and the heat, you know, crusts the mustard a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you really that kind of pork oh. chop you really want to get from the blade end or the butt end. They call right. it. We call it pork butt. It's the same roast that you would roast for pulled pork sandwiches or something. Right. right. But it's much more marbled. It's a darker colored meat. It's got a nice little. So when you look at a pork loin. Especially a boneless pork loin. It's just this kind of light pink meat, no bones. When they take the bones off the pork loin, you know what bones they're taking off? The blade. The baby back ribs. Yeah. Right? Which is everyone's favorite is the baby back ribs. So why would you buy a pork chop without them? Meat I'm just the, saying. The closer to the bone, you know, yeah, the better whatever. the meat. So when you're looking at pork chops in the case under the plastic wrap, there's not... 
you don't have a lot of choices or a lot of uh, ability to change what it is in the wrap. So right. you got to go with your eyes to see what you're... And so when you're looking at a pork chop, you've got that light pink center cut of the pork loin. Mm-hmm. And as you get closer to the blade end of the pork loin, as the guy, the butcher is cutting chops, you'll start to see a much more red line around in the cap, kind of right. around the right. outside, right. right? And that's the blade end of the pork chop and... And you'll uh, see a little fat and sinewy, too. Yeah, and that's what you want. You want to get those. Exactly. exactly. And then uh, if you go further into that butt, you're going to get um, the, uh, you can get pork blade steaks if they don't cut it up, or you can get pork butt as a whole thing with the blade in it, so, or, or country-style pork ribs. If you go the other direction, you're looking at pork sirloin roast right. at the other end of that uh, center-cut loin. Yeah, on one side, you've got more characteristic of uh, uh, muscles and fats and you know, things like this through the meat. Uh-huh. Which, to me, I think is much better because no matter what, you're going to cook that meat all the way. You know, that's, that's going to melt down and that's going to give you all that flavor and that texture, too. I mean, it's kind of boring to eat nothing but the same meat for like 10 minutes chewing on the same thing. Like the big, like we always talk about the, the big beef roast, you know. Right. It's like the outside is the best part. So make the whole thing the outside. Butterfly the whole thing and... <laughs> Season the whole thing and seal the whole thing, so now you have nothing but crust. Okay, so let's just assume people have pork chops, okay. and they have the ones that uh, I'm suggesting that they don't get because some, maybe <laughs> that's all. It's, well, no, a lot of times that's all it's available. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so what are you going to do with them? How are you going to make those perfect? Because you're dealing with a, a current f- a trend, which is the leanest possible, right? Correct. Actually, if you go Correct. into fancy butcher shops, it's going the other directions. Crazy amount of fat on those. But in grocery stores still, they're looking for the leanest possible thing to offer you, right. which in turn makes it very difficult to cook properly. So let's get started down well, I think I think then for me, pork is a great meat carrier, meaning that it can take a lot. So, you know, mustard is always my go-to you know, you, you give me pork chop, the first thing I think about is lather this baby up. So that's an inch thick pork chop we're talking about yeah, now. Yeah, okay. lather it up in, in, in Dijon. We used to do this at Lule with a, I know, I've had a it many big times. coat, like the giant yeah. uh, big pork chop. We put them in tub in rosemary, thyme, and uh, Dijon mustard, cracked pepper, and put the whole thing together overnight. So the okay. next day, your pork chops are like us already starting to break down the meat. With mm-hmm. the acids in the mustard, it starts to break down the, the cells of the meat. You throw that baby on the, on, the, on the grill. You know, you remove a little bit of that mustard because it was a lot. You just want to have a lathering. Just a th- you don't rinse it, but you just wipe it. Yeah, you just wipe it. With your hand. Yeah. yeah. So there's still some left, but there's not a stick of a layer. And then you put that on the grill or on a flat top or on a cast iron pan. And then you just get that baby up. You know, nicely sealed on both sides. So and we're on a medium heat or medium Yeah, medium. High? I, I, when I say sear, I don't mean like high, high heat. Yeah. Um, you don't want to go too crazy. And then you just finish it in the oven or cover it up. And then you end up with that beautiful meat cooked all the way. And you've got that mustard. So what's that, all the way to you? What temperature? Uh, 160 is when I stop. 160. Yeah. That's higher than Which I thought is, you would have said. You know, if you, I'm just... <laughs> I'm just asking a question. 160 is what's going to be... The health department's not in this room right now. Okay, one, 145 is when I start going, okay, that's good enough for me. Because to me, that's when I would... But 160 me, is what I'm supposed one, to say. <laughs> to me, I would pull it at 145 and let it rest to 155. I don't mind having a, you know, medium pork shop. Yeah. Per health regulation, 160 is good. But anyway, the point is that no matter what, that's not going to be dried out. 
if you stop at 160, if you go to 170, that will be dried out. There won't be any juice left in that pork shop, especially after you let it rest. Because you can't, you can't stop it, right? Once you get, if you're pulling it at 170, you can't stop it. It's going to automatically go to 180. 180, 185. Yeah. yeah. You know, because the higher it goes, the more time it keeps cooking. Yeah. So anyway, 160, I would be the maximum I would go and let it sit and let it rest. And then you've got this wonderful, juicy pork shop that's going to be on your hand. And it's permeated through because of the mustard that has already broken it down. Mm -hmm. So the heat has gone through gently through the whole pork shop. And the whole thing is nice and tender. You know, mustard is one example, but there is many other things you could do. I mean, you could macerate your uh, pork shop in dry not in wet, you know, in, in just spices. I mean, I'm thinking of the rub with love. The first one you made. Any of those would work. Yeah. The salmon? No, the, yeah, the salmon rub. Uh-huh. Salmon rub on the pork shop is delicious. That's going to give you more of a barbecue sense because there's exactly. some brown sugar in there. And so that'll like caramelize. That, and again, the same concept. You put this on the pork shop with just a tiny bit of olive oil. So it's kind of wet and you pack it in. You leave it there for a few hours and then you cook it. It's always nice. I'm, I'm a big believer of... You know, let it things macerate in a little bit because it breaks it down, starts breaking it down a little bit, and the flavor gets through. So, Pamela, you cook pork a lot, and uh, you like fruit with your pork. In fact, I do. And this week was a breakthrough smashed blueberry sauce. But you start with shallots and thyme. So I was mm. channeling you, Terry. It was like that is the correct beginning. And then uh, pop the blueberries in high heat and finish with balsamic. So they break down. So well. they break down. Uh-huh. And it, uh, oh yeah, so finish with balsamic, which is what I was going to say. You need an acid in there. Yeah, that's cool. The only thing I would say, if you're doing balsamic, you probably are, were you in a cast iron pan? No, because you have to be careful with vinegar and cast iron. Yeah, yeah. Stainless steel, stainless heavy steel. bottom. Yeah. Yep. It was fantastic. But cool. uh, what did you temp your pork chops at when you pulled them? One forty-five. Ah. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you can say well, it. Okay, 145 is where it's at. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's pink, but I did the warm them in the oven and then a sear on top. Oh, yeah, you did the other way around. Okay, yeah. got it. Oh, you did the reverse sear. The reverse yeah. sear, yeah. Uh-huh. And you like that still. I, I trust it. Yeah. I trust it. And it, works, tr- it works really well. It, it's a good method. I mean, it's not I've different. never done it. It's like roasting and then searing. It's a, it's a very, it's a method that works really well, especially for thicker piece of meat i think it works really well i don't yeah, think because it's when you get it out of the oven you can temp it then and see you know how Correct. far along you are and then it, it takes the searing time down to a shorter right. so so you're not looking at all for internal temperature uh, to rise when you're searing you're just giving it a, a browning on the outside mostly yeah yeah okay. it and doesn't really what thickness of pork do you like because i like a one inch pork chop Pretty, yeah, pretty yeah. thick, yeah, exactly. But that was the other thing that I, I ran into because on those thin ones, they if they're under that, they curl too much. And I was reading, curl, you can't stop them from cooking. There's just they're ridiculous. Yeah, well, they're, they're don't do be, it. Don't. They're meant to be grilled quickly and and not. It's yeah. not meant to be cooked the same or way. Or you pound out. them out and bread them and make veal schnitzel or sure. pork schnitzel out of them. All right, we got to jump over to uh, what is an umami bomb? It's the hot topic in cooking these days. We're going to talk about that when we come back on Cairo. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Grab a tough can of pork soda. You'll be feeling just fine. It doesn't quite like sugar on the house. Swimming down them Kansas wine. Burger, cheeseburger, spaghetti, rye, french fried potato, 
It's the Hot Stove Kitchen on Cairo. We're continuing down our path, but we're going to get into uh, some bombs. Some bombs. Some bombs. You know, one of the hot terms in the restaurant business or in cooking in general are umami bombs. Right. And if I were to try and explain that to somebody who didn't know what the heck I was talking about, it, uh, umami is a fifth sense, right? It's like this flavor that you're not really sure where it comes from, but it brightens and it adds texture and depth and all, does all sorts of savoriness, all sorts of things. So we often, I often think of dried powdered shiitakes uh-huh. as an umami uh, right. ingredient. Uh, there are you know, mushrooms in general seem to add that kind of thing yes. that people don't necessarily recognize. Uh, but anchovies, fish sauce is kind of the same way, yeah. right? Anchovies, fish sauce. Uh, fish sauce. But let's concentrate on anchovies today, Chef. Let's not think about anchovies in the way that you might put them on top of your pizza or on top of your Caesar salad, right? right. We're not talking about anchovies that you eat as an ingredient, but anchovies that blend with something else that you're making to become that umami base that you just don't know where that flavor is coming from or you don't know why my meatballs taste better than your meatballs. or well, You know what I'm saying? It's, yeah. just, it's just an ingredient that people use to kind of give food an extra oomph. So do you nice, have, how do you use anchovies that aren't traditional and more like an umami bomb? Well, a nice classic, and it's a very old classic, of a steak finished with, um, after your steak is seared, you just deglaze the pan, chop shallots and veal stock and finish with... Uh, uh, anchovy paste and butter and butter, yeah, yeah. And yeah so, that's because but well, we're talking like in the scenario like that, you're really you're not looking for an anchovy butter. No, no, no. You're, you're looking you're, for a. You're trying to almost like a bordelaise. You're trying to give a flavor to the veal stock, basically the base of the sauce. Uh-huh. You're trying to give it a, a flavor that's you know just like a little salty, like a like that umami that we're talking yeah. about. You're trying to add that flavor to that, so when you put it over the steak, you now have a complete sauce because it's got stock, it's got shallots, it's got black peppers, black yeah. pepper, yeah. yeah. And you're putting all that on the steak, but you've got that finishing of like that saltiness and that that fishy. It's not fishy, but it's, it's kind not of fishy. A, yeah, that's I was because fishy is a bad term in English, but it's got that that flavor that you're like, what is that? That's so delicious, mm-hmm. and it gives a depth that's not existing. Until that moment. Right. I think so, of Worcestershire sauce. And it, match, of, it matches really well with a beautiful Charolais steak. You know, a beautiful Charolais steak is like gorgeous meat, gorgeous Charolais beef. is a type of type steer. Of beef. Yeah, yeah of type steer, of yeah. Beef, yeah. And uh, you get a nice steak with that. It's fantastic. And so what you're doing is in a scenario like that, in a, if you want to think about it in a per-person way, you're kind of looking like about an eighth of a teaspoon of anchovy paste yeah. per person. Or maybe a little bit more, but no, depending. Eighth, if you want it yeah. to taste anchovyish, you're going to up the anchovy. Correct. But if you want it to be the umami quality, where you, it just disappears into deliciousness, you're not really sure. Right. Then right. you want to go a little bit less. Yeah. Uh, anchovy paste is a kind of ingredient that would work in so many different things. Like first thing I think about is in cold dishes. Like let's say you have a hot boil egg cut in half, and you're like, oh, I'm going to make devil egg. You can make a nice homemade mayonnaise and you finish it with anchovy paste and you put that into your eggs and that's really upping the kitty. Nobody's going to be at the party going, what's in those eggs? <laughs> and, well, they're all, they're all going to be at the party saying that. They're just not going <laughs> to guess that it's anchovy. That's right. I mean, it's just little trick like this. Oh, in tomato, if you do a tomato base, um, let's say you're doing a pasta and you're doing a tomato 
uh, base sauce. Put a little anchovy in there at the last minute, and then you mix the whole thing together and put that over your pasta. Same thing. It's going to bring a umami in your tomato sauce that everybody's going to go, what is, what's that last flavor I just had in my mouth? Same thing. It's just, those are really good things to have. Those tube anchovy paste in your refrigerator door, it's that's, a must. That's what I keep, yeah. You must have that. And same with the tomato paste. They put them in tube and you put those two things next to each other. You can go a long yeah. way with that. And when you have water and you have light flavors, you just go boop. A little and if bit you don't have that and you happen to have fish sauce, most people that would have fish sauce probably, you know, maybe <coughs> unless it's an ethnic ingredient for you. But, uh, you know, anchovy uh, paste or fish sauce work yeah. interchangeably yeah, 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 that yeah, true. way. So when I'm making a, uh, like a mustard vinaigrette or something like that, I always put a little tip of uh, anchovy paste in there. Mm-hmm. My other in- secret umami ingredient is chipotle Tabasco because you get a little <laughs> bit of that smokiness from the chipotle yeah. Yeah, yeah. and get heat That's from the Tabasco. Idea. I can see that. So I can see that. It's just something that disappears, but it brightens, uh, yeah. and that's what we're trying yeah, to get for, to. For that, I use the, uh, the chili crisp. I use the yeah. uh, chili crisp as a little hiding, hiding in there. You put it at the end, and it's the same thing. It creates that. What is in there? That's is it? Is it, is it spicy? No, it's no. not spicy. Is it? Is it like you can't really pick it up? But but people that can't use a lot of salt in their cooking and stuff, yeah. cayenne pepper is the perfect brightener. Right. Cayenne pepper and lemon juice a combination. You don't really need salt, right? And it's it's just a lovely way to brighten your food. The other places I use uh, anchovy paste, meatloaf, meatballs. Sure. Sure. I made uh, my. Annual, well, my second, because I threw away my first batch. But the cabbage, the I sad the, cabbage the, roll yeah, story. Yeah, oh. so sad. I made my second batch of cabbage rolls uh, two nights ago with because I saw some... I can't resist Savoy cabbage when I see it in the grocery store. Uh-huh. I just love it. Uh, but I put in my mix, my wild rice, pork, veal mix that I made for the stuffing of the cabbage roll. I put anchovy paste in and... Lovely. Yeah. I mean, no, of course. I also put a little too much harissa in. They're, they're, they have a little kick to them. <laughs> well, anchovy paste will help tame that down a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It will change the it direction. Yeah. No? <laughs> you put a lot? I, I guess I did. I didn't realize. Yeah, no, that's a good. I mean, I think it, it's a perfect idea, actually, if you have something spicy and you put a little bit of that anchovy paste, it will change the direction of the spice, not mm-hmm. being so hot and. Focus more on more on the uh, on the fullness of flavor. Yeah. yeah. So you change that, and it's a good idea. It's also a good rub. You know, if you're doing a roast, if you're doing, for example, a a, a small, uh, we were talking about pork butt. You do a pound and a half pork butt piece to roast. You can just before it finishes out of the oven, last five minutes, you just put a little bit of um, anchovy paste and a little bit of olive oil. Put that over your roast and finish it in the oven that way. So you'll have a nice crust on your pork and, you know, it definitely will have a lot of flavor on the outside. Right. And that, but that's when more, a little bit more when you're featuring the anchovy, like you would right. if you were making an anchovy toast. Right. When I go to the South uh, Italian market in South Philly, uh, visiting family back there, you go into, uh, I think it's called the Bruno Brothers. Some people, you've been there? Yeah. Uh, in the old version, you used to be able to walk through, and they would have maybe a half dozen to a dozen tins of anchovies open on the counter, different salt levels, different size uh, anchovies, and uh, aging provolones dripping on your head over, over, yes. over the top. Yes. Um, <laughs> That's a party. It was a good I, I, store. It's one of my favorite things to put in my hair. Yeah. <laughs> What's Provolone interesting about that dripping. particular store is they have one in downtown Philly, which is like this really upscale, Fancy. clean, blah, blah, blah. And then you go to the one in the market, and 
I could talk all day about the Italian market in South Philly, my first trips there, but we're going to stay with anchovies. <laughs> uh, so anchovy toast, Caesar salad is the classic, and people oh, yeah. always say, uh, leave the anchovies out, but they don't really mean it. What they mean is they don't want the extra anchovies on top because they, don't, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't really know if the anchovies were in the dressing if it was made Well, you don't properly. have a Caesar if you don't have anchovies. I mean, well, yeah, sort of that's, that's the case, but also it's it's, they're not like supposed to be the else. dominant player in no. the dressing, right? No. They embellish the dressing. Right. Uh, what are kimchi burgers, Pam? You wrote kimchi burgers down as a... I just saw it on the list and it sounded fantastic. Well, what is it? Ha- having some kimchi blended oh, in. kimchi. Kimchi. Okay. I spelled it wrong. Yeah, kimchi, <laughs> kimchi and then chubby paste. That would work really well. Perfect. Yesterday on the evening, uh, the evening television show, I was taping here at the hot stove and I made a kimchi corned beef sandwich. Oh. With, uh, yeah, with... Uh, Jack cheese, kimchi, and hoisin barbecue sauce. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we did the classic. Uh, I like how you got giddy on that one. Yeah, That's yeah. funny. <laughs> Where'd that come from? Uh, yeah, exactly. I was trying to do something traditional, like traditional Reuben, and then the non-traditional. Uh, By golly, it was it. non-traditional. It was definitely not traditional. <laughs> okay, we got another full hour when we come back. Cheesy pickles. Food for thought, tasty trivia, all sorts of deliciousness. Stay with us on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Back to the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo. It is amazing that I am still alive right now because uh, our producer Pam made us cook the latest TikTok craze, which is what? Cheesy pickle. Cheesy pickle. Gr- uh, griddled cheese with um, a dill spear inside it. Uh huh. And you want to get it. Brown and crispy. Uh huh. So you've got both your uh, salty brine and your melty cheese. Mm-hmm. So a couple so. Of points I would make out of that because so I we actually, did. So we did it. We did so, you it know, the, uh, We had Doug from the audience come up and help us. He actually, actually uh, is from Kansas Doug. City, so it, it, it's in his blood. It happened naturally for him. He had to teach me how to do it. I so. know. It, he definitely showed was, us how it was yeah. done. <laughs> it's quite a show. Uh, so what were you saying? My first take would be. Um, well, the skin is very hard to uh, chew through. The f- cheese is way too chewy for me. <clears throat> so I would choose a better cheese, and I would definitely take a bigger pickle. <laughs> that, cracks, that just cracks me up. Okay. I mean, so you're so, so what you're better. saying is, by putting a saute pan on a high burner and putting a piece of mediocre cheese in there and putting a mediocre dill pickle in there that it's not quite up to your standards. No. <laughs> it's, exactly, it's exactly what I was saying. It's exactly, okay. I mean, I do have standards. Next time we'll get you aged provolone. Yes. With, See, that, would, that, that was what oh, I wanted to get even to. Parmesan would how to re- take it up to a snack that you would enjoy. Yeah. I would use There's gold. nothing you could do for this, except maybe put a Dick's Burger around it. Oh, Tom, it. Don't, be such a, don't be such a hater. 
Um, I just think it's important, again, to not bastardize it and use the worst ingredient. Instead, use better ingredients. So, you know, in the, in the grocery store at some uh, cheese counters now, you can find the parm crisp, where they take, right, yeah. like, Asiago, See, that or would they be take my domestic tea. parm, and they kind of either pan fry it until it's I crisp or that. oven bake yeah. it until it's crisp. That with a little pickle on top, I yeah. can see could be really fun. Yeah. But and, this not, and not a thick skin pickle that is sweet and all that. Just use a better pickle. Use a, use well, a that good was a dill pickle. That was a Clausen dill yeah, pickle. Yeah, but the, the dill. Skin, skin is way too thick for that. It for, that for that presentation? For that, pre- for that preparation, yeah. yeah. What about see, a cornichone? You're just yeah, the, wrong, you're use, the wrong person here. I, I would use, no, no. Multiple, I'm, hey, I'm the other there? side of the spectrum. I'm, a, I'm with Pamela on this. How about cornichone? Exactly. Instead? That's yeah. what I said okay. earlier. Cornichone would be great. With a real provolone. Yeah, or some parmesan. Not a you know, commercial. Just, I mean, you just take some shit. Sh- uh, shave parmesan into a pan. It will make your, your nice round. You put your, your gherkins in there, your cornichon. You roll that up. Uh-huh. Same idea. Now, that would be a much better flavored item. And you could serve that as a little petit appetizer, you know. <laughs> I think a little mustard in there would be good, too. Yeah. I can't believe Terry Absolutely. Didn't say mustard. What about um, if we rolled it in panko? Well, you're getting to a different animal now. Yeah. Uh, but you can't roll it in panko until the cheese is melted, right? But I want to get the panko crusty. This was yeah. Lars's idea. Yeah. And so if you got your cheese browned, could you then um, dredge it in the panko and go back to the pan? Yes, you could. Yeah, yeah. To get it crispy? Yeah. No, well, you can get the outside crispy. The thing that Chef Terry would like, though, that it might soften up the brown cheese a little bit, but I don't know. No, I mean, I, I, I think, I think, I think you're, you're trying to. I think you're, you're, you're really now pushing the envelope of like double frying, and I don't know if it's really. This is supposed to be a quick, in my mind. Yeah. This is a 2 a.m. snack, nothing else is left in the fridge. I got to figure out something to do. Actually, there's not much imagination there, so I think you definitely have nothing else in the fridge. So otherwise, now I, I'll come up with something else. <laughs> This I mean, is just celery would be... 13 million people. <laughs> 13 million people 13. have downloaded this video, Chef. 13 because million. 13 that does million. not mean they're all making it and eating it and loving it. <laughs> I mean, 13 million people have probably downloaded many other videos than they would never do. Right? Uh, well, I I've mean, never had one of my videos downloaded more than three times. <laughs> you know what? You will be a success. Yeah. Just be patient. Uh, it reminds me, oddly enough, it's, it's the dill pickle, of course, but in um, when we used to go to La Buznik restaurant here in Seattle, down on First Avenue, and before that in Pioneer Square, uh, he used to take Jarlsberg cheese, dredge it, you know, flour, egg, breadcrumb, Pan fry it, get it crispy so that it had a soft, mushy center. Uh-huh. And he served it in this Czechoslovakian restaurant. He served it with tartar sauce, oh. a real pickly tartar sauce. So you got the you got the real pickle flavor yeah. with the fried cheese. And if you're going to take mm. this up a notch, uh, what we just this this catastrophe that we just <laughs> perpetuated that we perpetuated here in this very sacred kitchen. I love how um, you, you call this a catastrophe, and then you say in a oh, sacred place. Maybe with a burger, McDonald burger. No, Mac- I just said with Peter Sipra, who is Peter Sipra, who is one of the True. best chefs that ever came to Seattle. Uh, his fried cheese with tartar sauce would be a nice alternative to this. And for anyone who wants the recipe, I'll take a picture of it on my phone, and Pamela will send it to you for our fried Jarlsberg with tartar sauce. It's delicious. I just made it the other night. 
for some old pals. There you go. You wanted us to uh, take it up a notch, take it up and a notch. you did. Yeah, I think a better cheese is the place to start. One, yeah. one, one other thing that could be good on that cheese is when it comes out of the pan when it's still soft is to put some of that rub on it. You know, you put the, the veggie rub on top uh-huh. of that. That would be delicious too. That would give you a nice little some spice little, flavor. Yeah, yeah. some some because the dill pickle has got tons of garlic, right? Coriander seed. Dill, right? Uh, and then you could add more spice if you want. Got wanted. the vinegar acid, kind of, mm-hmm. you know, behind smoked it. paprika. That Spanish yeah. style uh, yeah. smoked paprika would be good with that too. Yeah, absolutely. But honestly, let's just be clear: there's nothing that would be good with this. Like this, is what Pamela no. made us do. There are alternative ways to go about what she was looking for, which is a cheese pickle combination that we could make delicious. But this, and it's not because he's got a million view on TikTok, then it's good. Okay, let's make sure we get that straight. 13 million. Well, whatever. It's like, it doesn't matter how many millions. People are amazed by, you know, it's fun to watch. You're looking at this, you're going, oh, my God. I bet you most people are going, oh, my God, I would never eat that. Our audience did very willingly. Look at them. They're all. Yeah, and most of them were lethargic right now, but uh, they did eat it. Yeah, I mean, we used to have a live audience. (laughs) All right, enough about that. Let's talk about some vinegar infusions when we come back. Uh, this is right up your alley, Wake Chef. us up. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. I like cheese. Uh, let's get down into some vinegar here in the Hot Stove Society Show. Thank you for joining us. We are, uh, have a live studio audience that's all revved up because they just had a cheese crusted mustard or cheese crusted dill pickle. Right. Let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, next up on our show, we're going to talk infusing vinegars. And Chef, uh, annually, I look forward to my infused vinegar in my Christmas basket from you. Uh, I give you a little loaf of mortadella, and uh-huh. you, I get infused vinegar. So, well, you give me some wine. Wine is good. <laughs> wine is good. No, um, tell us uh, how you make your vinegars, and you know we've got all sorts of different vinegars to work with, right? So, how do you go about your process? So, it starts with what I have in my backyard usually, see, which is uh, I have an apple tree, a dwarf apple tree, and uh, my rule has always been the same: is what's on the ground goes vinegar, and what's on the tree goes uh, apple sauce. So both of those I can. First, I can the apple sauce, obviously. Yeah. But the vinegar process is only apples that are salvageable, that are not rotted, uh, but that are on the ground. I cut them in small pieces. I put them in white wine and vinegar, white vinegar. And I let it macerate for about six, seven months. Cheesecloth. All right, we have to go back. We have to stop and go back to the but beginning. This here. is not, wait, wait, yeah, what's up? You've chopped your apples. Yeah. What kind of white wine? Regular white wine, like a box white wine that I buy at the... A box, the, it's just a cheap white wine. Yeah, cheap white wine. And vinegar. White vinegar. Which is like... Uh, just regular white Distilled vinegar. or just... Not distilled. Uh, just white wine vinegar? White wine vinegar. Okay. Put one third white wine vinegar, two third white wine. Uh-huh. And cover over the apple by at least twice as much. Okay. So I in use a, a... Like in a plastic bucket? Five-gallon bucket. Five-gallon bucket. And then I put that in the basement and I let it sit for cheesecloth on top. So no fruit fly gets in there. Uh-huh. 
and then I let it sit for about uh, six, seven months. Uh-huh. And I move it about every month. I go in there and I twirl it around and you know just cover it back up. Okay. And after six, seven months, you've got this mother that gets formed, and you've get this um, natural process that just happen. And then I'll take it and I. So it's yeast from the air? Correct. Is, is that has changed? That has basically fermented. Fermented. Not fermented because it's not really fermented. It's on the stage of that because uh, it's not hot enough to ferment. I don't put it in the kitchen. Okay. Which would be great if I could, but I don't want it to be smelling vinegar every day of my life. And you put any seasoning in it at all? <laughs> nothing. Cinnamon the, sticks? At nothing. the beginning, I don't do anything. Okay. Just apple. What I do is at the end, I strain the whole thing and really push through a fine sieve so I get a little bit of the pulp and mostly uh, vinegar. Uh-huh. I take this and I bring it to a boil. And the reason I'm doing this is because I want to stop whatever fermentation is happening or whatever's You're happening. You're killing off whatever yeast is left. Right. Or, yeah. So I'm just stopping the, vine- the life of what's going on, the bacteria basically. So I'm bringing it to a boil and that's when I put a little rosemary. Um, depends on the flavor I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Adding to that and I let it macerate you know, for about 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then I strain the whole thing through very fine cloth so there is nothing left in the, in the vinegar except the actual vinegar. So that way you so get... So it doesn't come out cloudy or anything like that, No, right? it comes out kind of goldish, brownish color. Mm-hmm. And it's... And now you have apple vinegar. Apple vinegar. And it's 100% apple vinegar. Uh-huh. I mean, it's just apple from the backyard. And, so that's the beginning of one type of vinegar. There's another one I used to make for years and years at Rovers. Uh, not just one, but many... We used to have buckets in the back of Rovers <laughs> where I'd have those vinegar curing all the time. And uh, the common one was we had big bush of rosemary. So just take a whole bunch of rosemary, put that in white wine, vinegar. Same thing, we'd let it age and you'd have a rosemary vinegar. Um, same thing with during the berry season, I would go down to Pike Place and see Franks or whatever, you know, get the, the berries they couldn't sell, buy them much less expensive and take that and put that in red wine. And then macerate for a few months. Same thing you'd have red raspberry. Red wine and red wine vinegar? Red wine. You always start with some vinegar, some right. wine? Yeah. And uh, one thing that I did uh, when I was at Rovers, because I was, every year I was redoing vinegars, I would keep some of the mother. The mother is that gooey kind of stuff that's in the vinegar. You keep that. Same stuff that's in kombucha. Anyway, you keep some of the mother and you put that in your fresh wine and vinegar so it helps restart and also has the flavor base of that. So bacteria is already in there and... It processes really fast. It's, vinegar is the simplest thing to make. It's really not that complicated. You need a little warmth. I mean, you can't have it at 32 degrees because nothing's going to happen. But if you have room temp or, or slightly below room temp room, it's perfect. You cover it. The air does the rest of the work. My grandfather, where, where, when I was raised on the farm, we had a barrel of vinegar. It was the same ba- red wine barrel vinegar for years and years and years. And all... You know, it would just keep topping it with red wine, which is red wine was already vinegar anyway. So my grandpa made of red wine. You didn't wine. tell him that, though, <laughs> I hope. Oh, you couldn't drink that thing. Oh, so bad. But anyway, he would put that in the vinegar barrel, and you just keep topping it. And just natural process of aging just makes the vinegar. Okay, let's all pretend we're Chef Thierry Rotro, Chef in the Chapeau. We're at home. We're making dinner. We've got friends coming over. We've got a little a roast pork coming out of the oven. He's looking up into his pantry, and he's got huckleberry vinegar, and he's got raspberry vinegar, apple rosemary vinegar. Cherry. Cherry vinegar. Now you're pulling your roast out, and you're going to make a sauce out of the drippings. I'm going to take. On, I'm going to have the onions. I'm going to put some cabbage sure, under the sure. pork. And I'm going to take a little bit of that apple vinegar. So when? At the end. Always at, at the, the end. At the end of what? 
So I take all my you my, your roast out. my roast is out. My vinegar, my uh, onions, and my cabbage are in the pot. Take the cabbage out of the pot or out of the pan, and then deglaze with white wine on the onion. Let that reduce down a little bit. You caramelize that at all? Well, they're already caramelized because okay. they've been roasting under the pork. Okay. And then I put my chicken stock or my, you know, I always have chicken stock at home, homemade. So I just put the chicken stock in there, let that cook down and reduce it down. And then at the end is when I put the vinegar. And the reason I put it at the end is because you're keeping the flavor, but you're also acquiring that acid, fresh acid that will perk up the whole thing. Because right now all I told you was there was onion, there was wine and stock. But both of them are reduced and they're kind of sweet. But at the end, I and want cloying that, a little bit too. Yeah, and yeah. but I want that acid to bring that freshness. It's kind of like the squeeze of lemon juice in your whatever you're doing. You know, at, at the last minute, it brings that brightness. So let's so, say you have a cup of reduced stock. It's a little bit syrupy. How much vinegar am I adding to that to kind of get that a quarter a cup. noticeable level? And if I let's say I'm using the huckleberry vinegar. Uh, how much flavor huckleberry can I expect out of that? If I would say a quarter cup because you're going to bring cup. that to a boil and, you know, just boil it for about a minute. You know, and, and then if it's a little bit too vinegary now, what you have to do is the safety of the day is a nice nugget of butter in there. Uh. <laughs> Softens down the whole thing and silk it out. And if you want to go a little more sweet and sour, you just add a tablespoon of honey or a little bit of sugar. Yeah. And you end ne- up with a I little never, bit more sweet and sour. Yeah. I never add sugar. It's always honey or I would never put sugar, but that's just me. Now, what I would do is, uh, is I often have marmalades or jams in my yeah. refrigerator. You can stir in a tablespoon of apricot jam and a little uh, bit of that blueberry vinegar. Some of that apple sauce if you're it's doing apple. It's a great apple. way to use up the, yeah. the last bits of stuff in your refrigerator. Absolutely. That you have around. So. Great, great, great idea. Mm-hmm. Same with dressing. I mean, if you're making a, uh, a Dijon mustard, then oh, one dressing I love to make is uh, tarragon. I make tarragon vinegar with white wine, white wine vinegar, and tarragon, lots of tarragon. And then just put the whole thing on the shelf for like three weeks. Strain the whole thing up. And you have this wonderful flavor, tarragon. Tarragon gives up flavor faster. So you get this gorgeous, gorgeous tarragon flavor. And then you use that to make a dressing. You know, and talking about the jam, you, you, you do a Dijon mustard and tarragon dressing with a little bit of um, sour cream. Mix the whole thing together. And then at the last minute, you oh, put a little yeah. bit of that huckleberry jam left over than uh-huh. you have or whatever. That's just yummy. Wow. There you go. There's some, um, Pamela, I hope that answers your questions about it. Infused with a, with a vinegars. Nice mild sausage. You're going to want to get in on the, this uh, bow class that Annie Elmore is going to do here on March 31st because uh, she's got lots of ideas on how to take your bow dough. I know everyone's got extra bow dough at home. Of course. And do something <laughs> different with it on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show 973. Welcome to the mic here, the Hot Stove Society Show. Annie Elmore, director of the Hot Stove Society Kitchens. And um, she is uniquely qualified in our group to be making bao dough. You know, uh, Annie, for years... 
the little pinch buns have mm-hmm. been a, a favorite staple of menus all across America. And it's amazing what has ended up in there from what is a traditional ingredient mm-hmm. to where it is now. You find it wrapped around pretty much anything, even a cheesy pickle. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like what Pam did. Yeah, exactly. So tell us about Baudo, if you would, uh, maybe a little bit of your background and then uh, uh, how, how we can transcend making just barbecue pork humbao that you might see in a din, on a din sum menu mm-hmm. uh, and into something a little, more, a little different. You know, funny enough, I actually used to make bao with my mom when I was younger. I never really make the dough she always did because you have to, like, knead it by hand. But what she did differently than what I do now is she used to use milk in her dough as opposed to just water. Mm-hmm. But because we have so many dietary restrictions, we want to keep it vegan and also dairy-free. So we do it with water instead. There are a couple ways to make the bao dough. It's a double leavening dough. That's why they're so fluffy and they puff up so quickly when mm-hmm. you cook them. Is you have a lot of sugar, a lot of yeast, and also baking powder as the oh, second portion no of the leavening. Yeah, that's all why you, it you're gets so big. Yeah. From, right? All the you're missing is a pump. Huh? <laughs> You'd have a balloon. Yeah, it's pretty much that's what it is. Wow. And I always have to warn people, making sure that you leave them about an inch apart because otherwise you get a giant bow, kind of like when you bake cookies and you get really greedy. You're trying to bake a lot on a sheet tray and then you have this one whole sheet one. That way, you again, double leavening is what the dough is. That's why it makes it fluffy. My mom's dough is a little bit more... Uh, what I what I say, uh, it's silkier because of the fat from the milk as opposed to just water. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that. So with that, I so- usually make pinch bun uh, with that and uh-huh. then steam bao. And then I also sometimes I do it in a sweet thing too where you make rub it with butter and sesame seeds with brown sugar and then you steam it and that's going to be your sweet bao as mm-hmm. opposed to savory bao. So there's so many different things you can do with that. Uh, or if you want, you can just make like a plain one and then you can eat that with your soup or... Yeah, with, it's like a, oh. just a piece yeah, of bread. Yeah, just like a bread. Yeah, yeah. 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 Ever, ever made pizza with it? Pizza with baudo? Yeah. I'm trying just to... Just say no. Uh, <laughs> well, we know we just did pickle and cheese. I'm like, well, I'm going to try pizza too. So you've got a class coming up on the 31st of yes. March. And what can people expect... Like, what are some of the different ways to use bao dough that you've experimented with? So, um, three things I'm going to be learning how to make is making pinch bun, because uh, I really hate the store-bought stuff. Uh-huh. You and I had that fought be- like that fight before, where you went and buy the stuff from the frozen uh-huh. section, exactly. and I think it's so disgusting, because well, it's dry. Well, it comes like plasticky. In, yeah, and in it's dried, yeah. mm-hmm. and it's, it doesn't look like real thing. Um, right, it looks machine made. Yeah, yeah. it takes yeah. all the all the organic nature yeah. out of it, and yeah. it's not fluffy. It's really dense. It's just one of more of the fights that I've lost to you, Annie. Yes, you did. <laughs> yeah. I and I I enjoy every moment of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that, and they learn how to make that. Uh, a lot of people think it's really difficult because they see it sell at the store. So uh-huh. it's like, okay, if they sell at the store, it must be really hard to make, but it's actually really easy to make. Mm-hmm. And then I teach them on how to do the steam bow with the barbecue. Um, but instead of pork, we did char shoe uh, shiitake. So make that whole thing vegan. Vegetarian, mm-hmm. vegan. Yeah. yeah. 
And then um, uh, Charzu Chicago. So the barbecue pork you find in Chinatown is mm-hmm. called Charzu, mm-hmm. and it's a certain style of cooking it and mm-hmm. flavor profile. And so you mm-hmm. did it on shiitake mushrooms yeah. instead of on pork butt. Yeah. yeah. So we kind of like fry the shiitake, make it a little bit of that crunchier, mm-hmm. a similar texture to the barbecue pork. Mm-hmm. And then we did all the seasoning in it, you know, the glaze and everything. Star anise and yeah. red mm-hmm. food dye. No, <laughs> we did not do that. And the third one I taught them how to do is steam and sear the bow from frozen stage. So you can kind of exactly how you would do pot stickers, but you do it in a pan and you sear it and you steam it exact same time. Mm-hmm. And so that was the three different ways on how to use the So what's the, the processing? Dough. How do you make the dough, actually? Uh, flour, water, sugar, yeast, baking powder, a little salt. That's it. Mix the whole thing together? Mm-hmm. So there are two different ways. Sometimes you see recipe, people will tell you to add the baking powder on the second rice. Sometimes you see they said just mm-hmm. add it at the beginning. Honestly, I did both and they work out at the same time I'm kind of a lazy person I'm not going to wait for the second rise hey, I just, just put it, it in the beginning mm-hmm. and done with it and then portion it and then that's it you don't have to like sit around and wait for it to so let it rise punch it as in nope break. you don't no? have to punch it but you said you rise it twice so the second rise would be you adding the baking powder but if you don't add the baking powder on the second oh, rise you, just you add rise. it yeah you just okay, one rise it. yeah and then you divide it into manageable size mm-hmm. balls, Small and balloon. you have to knead it at that point. Is that right? Uh, you're done kneading. You just. You, I thought you said your mother always kneaded hers. She hand kneads her, but I don't need. You are lazy. I know. I just use the KitchenAid. <laughs> oh, so you put it in the mixer and knead it. Yes. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, you do put it in the mixer. Yeah. Okay. I don't have the strength for that. I have a lot of stuff to do. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> so, um, so now we've got our bow dough, and mm-hmm. we can essentially go anywhere we want from there. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when we make bow here for our corporate gigs, where we're mm-hmm. having uh, a hum bow group that is mm-hmm. vegetarian, we make a little squash and kale mm-hmm. bow with uh, some tofu, shredded tofu in it. Yeah. What, what other ideas do you have to fill a bow before you steam it? Like fulfilling wise, yeah. or I mean, you can do anything with it. You, I mean, you talked about the cheeseburger yeah. bow. Oh God, cheeseburger was a huge hit, yeah. and um, that one. So after we steam, we sear a little bit to create a little bit of the texture. No, go in back it. to the filling. Okay, though. the yeah. filling. I want to okay. hear how you make cheeseburger bow filling. Oh, you want to know how? It yes, is. I okay. do. I thought you invented it. I did not. <laughs> <laughs> so for the cheeseburger, you just take this uh, ground beef and you cook it in a cast iron skillet, kind of like if you were to cook, you know, beef patty, um, uh-huh. burger patties, sear on both sides. And you break it up. Onion. Onions, yep. You saute onion. So you take the beef out and you use that beef fat to saute the onions in there. And then you add it in with the beef. And then you want to keep the fat in there, too, because that's what makes things delicious, right? That's right. Um, and then, of course, you got the ketchup, the mustard, Pickle the pickles relish, relish in no. there, the, the American cheese. cheese. you got to be oh, American my, cheese. Yep. And then so when you bite it's, into it, it's like you're eating a uh, cheeseburger. Uh. <laughs> Wildly popular. Um, was it good or was it bad? And so you um, take that filling, you have to chill it down. Down a bit. Yep. Mm-hmm. You've got your bow, and you kind of roll out your bow. Mm-hmm. You put a delicious scoop of that filling in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Fold mm-hmm. it up. And then you steam yep. it. And put the seal on the bottom. 
Mm-hmm. Put it into a steamer basket over a delicious bath of hot water. Yep. And steam away. Yep, you just steam, and also depends if you were to use raw meat, a raw filling, which uh, Vietnamese people do. We use raw pork uh, filling with eggs in it, so that you would steam a little bit longer because you got raw meat in there. But mm. if you use something already cooked, let's just say you know the char siu bao or the cheeseburger bao, mm-hmm. um, you don't have to cook, bake them too long. You just want the dough to be done, so that takes seven minutes, mm-hmm. seven to ten. And depending on the size, uh, but if you have raw in there, I would go for 15 minutes. Now, to get the real cheeseburger aspect out, <laughs> okay, of, we're back out of this again. bow, uh-huh. you have to go to a, like a cast iron pan, put some vegetable oil in the bottom, and then you pan fry the mm-hmm. bow After it's so you get a little bit of that greasy diner kind of feel to it. Oh, yep. Uh, because, everybody's, because everybody's looking for that greasy diner flavor. No. Yeah. No. What about the curried vegetable bao? Now, now we're talking. Yeah. None so, of this cheeseburger stuff. <laughs> I mean, the curry vegetable is one of Pam's favorite. We uh, saute lots of garlic, ginger, onion, and uh, we use S&B curry powder, which is the Japanese curry powder. It's really distinct in flavor. Um, it has a lot more orange flavor in mm. it. Uh, and then, you know, add in the kale, and then we roast the squash, and then we add it in there. So it's a really great uh, seasonal, like, wintertime filling. Mm-hmm. People seem to like it, mm-hmm. and it's a lot healthier. <laughs> so now, if you were to take your bao dough and put it into a muffin tin, because Pam is fascinated with muffin tins. Um, like, if you want to make a cinnamon sugar bao in a muffin tin, so you take mm-hmm. it, you roll it, you mm-hmm. do all this, mm-hmm. cut it up, kind of like a, a monkey. With bread. What, what do they call monkey bread? The, yeah, uh, a pull apart bread. Yeah, yeah. yeah a pull apart. You can make a bao pull apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can. It's a million things you can do with totally, yeah. and then that you know you do a little on a sweeter side, mm-hmm. but it's going to be fluffier than cinnamon rolls, of course. Which is nice. Yeah. So you just add more butter. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. Do you want to stay and be our victim when it comes to food for thought tasty trivia? Uh, I won't be the victim, but I will stay for the trivia. <laughs> on Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, ninety-seven three FM. Welcome back. Time for Food for Thought Tasty Trivia. As we wrap up uh, the deliciousness that is the Hot Stove Society radio show, uh, Food for Thought Tasty Trivia is brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs, a fabulous shallot mustard, which our young gentleman in the front here got a jar of for free today from our gift shop, and uh, four zingy sauces. When you have them in your pantry, you have the tools to elevate any meal. How about for, that, Chef? For, sh- for sure, that's, for uh, sure. That, that's our new tagline, Pam. Way to go. The tools to elevate any, any meal. meal. Rub with love. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And uh, our I just rub- have to say with my uh, NPR voice. Yes. Rub with love. love. Tools to elevate That's too sexy. <laughs> Makes you crazy. <laughs> Makes you crazy. Okay. And uh, Carol, our Rub with Love brand manager, says that you can stock up at Rub with Love at grocery stores like Metropolitan Markets, Town and Country Markets, 
and local butcher shops like all three locations of B&E Meats or our beloved Don and Joe's in the Pike Place Market or AA Meats in Lakewood. In Lakewood. Love it. Okay, how do we play the game? And um, since Annie is here, she doesn't really need any more rub with love. <laughs> She's sweet enough. Uh, Doug. Doug, the, the fabulous pickle fryer, is, is going to win our, our three-pack of Tasty Rubs. He'll get to yeah, choose yeah. Uh, from in our gift shop uh, before he goes through it. Today. Got a winner today. I love, I love how you won before we play. Yeah. <laughs> like we always know the winner. <laughs> Take the pressures off already. <laughs> um, well, my three contestants are each getting five very easy questions this week. <laughs> And we're going to see who gets my the most experience, right. Personally, if you don't mind me interrupting, <laughs> my experience is that they get five easy questions. And, and then mine are the, a little uh, and Tom gets his own. Yeah. <laughs> Terry? Go ahead. I'll start. Uh, what is the French term for finishing or ripening cheese to bring it to a perfect point of maturity? Agé, your fromage, but the actual is affiné. Exactly. Thank you. Number two, what is <laughs> Need I say more? <laughs> what is Calvados? Mm, how about some right now? It's an apple brandy that is made in Normandy. Yes, you are pitch perfect today. Can't figure it out. <laughs> it's really hard. True or false, clarified butter has a higher smoke point than regular butter. Yeah, of course. Yes, true. True. Three for three. As long as you don't use the little milk that's on the bottom. Number four, what is the name of the rich, light cake, similar to a sponge cake, uh, that was developed? (laughs) (laughs) Next. Correct. And finally. chef. He's rocking it. The edible part of the wheat kernel contains three different parts, the bran, the germ, and the endosperm. Which part of the kernel contains the most nutrients? The bran. The germ. Yeah, of course. Four out of five. <laughs> Strong. All right. Strong showing. Nice job, chef. Yep. I swear Good I'm for gonna, you for I, understanding those complicated I, French terms. I swear I'm I know. Never <laughs> I'm never eating bran again. <laughs> chef Annie, what color is the outside of the fruit lychee? Red. Stop um, there. Red you got is, it right. Okay. <laughs> What's the difference between lychee and rambutan? Wait, wait. Is that skin on or skin off? Uh, skin. <laughs> I mean, they different fruit. The outside spiky and lychee smooth. There you go. Nice. Wait, is that a question from no, you? Okay. that's from me. No. <laughs> Number two, uh, which of these is the correct translation for the Greek word oregano? A, sister to tomato, to B, joy of the mountain, or three, spicy mama? B. Yes. Yes. Uh, joy of the mountain. That sounds about trend. right. I know. <laughs> I like spicy mama. See, that's, I'm not Very, Greek, and I, I got a Greek question. Very nice. But Greek is the basis of all life, so. <laughs> True or false, the famous trumpeter, Louis Armstrong, loved red beans and rice so much that he signed his correspondence, red beans and ricely yours. True or false? True or false. True? True, yeah. <laughs> I think I saw a wind at me. That was confident, yeah. Oh, um, in the sense. What is the most common casing material for stuffed dolmades? Grape leaves? Yes. And number five, does Serrano ham come from Germany, Spain, or Estonia? Spain. Oh! Yay! Yay! 
Nice five job, five. Annie. First time. Yeah. All right. You didn't even get any Vietnamese questions. I know. Yeah. See? Tom Douglas? Yes. What is the Spanish term for dried salt cod? <laughs> Bacalao. Yes. Please name the Jewish American large yeast roll that is round but flat and has a depression in the center and it's often sprinkled with onions before baking. Did you have them in Philadelphia? <laughs> uh, boy, I've been thinking of Bialy or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah good work. Yeah. What liquors are in the drink named Grasshopper? My mother's favorite drink. Really? Yes. Oh, Mary. Green creme de menthe yeah. and white creme de cacao. Yes. Oh, my God. Uh, Those two together? Sure. Wow. You know, I had a special last summer where if you bought, I think, a corned beef sandwich, or last St. Patrick's Day, if you bought a corned beef sandwich, I made you a grasshopper. <laughs> I didn't know that about yeah. Mary. That's very sweet. Down at Seatown, yeah. Number four, why do people eat stinging nettles? Because they're stupid. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. They, don't, they, don't, they call them stinging for a reason. Uh, I just don't get it. Me either. Yeah, there's Me so many either. other things to eat. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, no, and finally... Miles go eat poison oak. <laughs> Wait, that was the answer? <laughs> you, not, you don't get it? I love the answer. That was stupid. <laughs> I didn't know we could do that. I could do that many times. <laughs> Uh, what does the acronym RDA stand for in food labeling terms? Well, <laughs> it's Greek for recommended daily allowance. Allowance, yes. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we have a tie. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Two, five, and a four. Congratulations, wow. Doug. Thank you for being our victim Wrong today. And uh, enjoy your stroll through the gift shop with looking for three especially tasty rubs. If you want to be part of the show like the cool Doug... You can join the community on YouTube Live at Tom Douglas and Company or buy a darn ticket at HotStoveSociety.com. You can listen via podcast if you don't hear us live on Cairo. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. The the show is ably produced by Pamela Hinckley, technically produced by Sean McFadden, and our editor in studio is Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. Thanks for listening and have a fabulous weekend. And such, we be dreaming about the future, and we both know that ain't much. Oh, and if I had a mushroom, I'd split it.